Welcome to these Bible lessons on the Old Testament. In these lessons, we'll cover God's magnificent creation of all the world, including the creation of man, the crown of God's creation. We'll follow with the sad fall of man in paradise and the consequences this brought to the world. In the continuing lessons, we'll teach how God visits men with the revelation of His covenant of grace. When we travel together through the entire Old Testament, we see God visiting His nation of Israel with revelations of this covenant of grace, pointing constantly to the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope these lessons are a blessing to you. Thank you. Welcome back to our Old Testament Bible History Series. This time it is Lesson 24, An Eye Upon God. Please follow along in your Bible in Genesis 38 and 39. Before we get started, I would like to provide two quick examples for you to think about during this lesson. First, imagine for a moment that you are walking along the road with your slingshot and a small bag of stones. As you are walking along, a big truck drives past. The big tires of the truck catch a rock on the road and throw it up. The rock hits a passing car and smashes right through its front window. The car driver stops, calls you over, and accuses you of shooting a rock at him. Soon the police arrive. They see you, the slingshot, your bag of stones, the broken window, the rock inside the car, and the adult who is accusing you. The police don't believe you at all. Soon the handcuffs come out. How would you feel? if you were falsely accused of doing something that you were not guilty of. The second part of today's story is about being falsely accused. But first, I have another question for you. Do you know what a family tree is? How far back do you know your grandparents' names? You know, when I found out that there was a famous person in my family history, I, I felt kind of proud. I, I think each of us would like to find some nice people that have a good reputation in our family tree. But what if you found some criminals, people that were really sinful? I would not like to be connected with them, would you? In the first part of this story, we're going to learn about the family tree of the Lord Jesus. So let's get started on our story. Do you remember who Judah is? When Joseph's brothers threw him into the pit, Judah stepped in to save Joseph's life. He had the idea to sell Joseph to the spice traders who were on their way to Egypt. 
Well, in today's story, Judah has left his family and married a Canaanite woman named Shua. Judah and Shua, um, Judah and Shua welcome three sons into their family, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Ur, the oldest, marries a young woman named Tamar. He is such a wicked man that the Lord takes his life away. The normal custom at that time was for the next son to marry the widow if they had no children. And so Onan, the second son, marries Tamar. He too displeased the Lord, and the Lord also took his life away. Judah told Tamar to wait at her parents' house for a few years until Shelah was old enough to marry her. When the third son was old enough to marry Tamar, Judah refused to allow it. Judah did not keep his promise that he made Tamar, even though Shelah is old enough to be married to her. As time goes on, Judah finds out that Tamar is pregnant. He is angry about this because she is supposed to marry Shelah and not another man. He's so angry, he commands her to be burned. But Tamar presents proof that Judah is actually the father. Presented with this proof, Judah finally admits his guilt of committing adultery with Tamar. Tamar has been more righteous than me, he says. I have been wrong in not allowing Sheila to marry her. The importance of this story becomes clearer in its ending. God gave Tamar twins, and the family line of Judah continued because of her. The firstborn was named Pharez, and the other was named Zerah. Both of those boys' names appear in the family tree of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 1, verse 3. Okay, let's now turn our attention to the other brother, Joseph. He has been carried away from Canaan to Egypt as a slave and sold to a man named Potiphar. The king of Egypt was called Pharaoh. His royal guard unit from the army was led by this man, Potiphar. The Lord guided the mind of Potiphar to notice the age, the appearance, and the ability of Joseph. And so Potiphar purchased Joseph to be a slave in his household. Now, in Egyptian society, Slaves purchased with money were generally treated much better than slaves that were captured in battle. In God's wisdom, Joseph is now in close contact with the royal rulers. This will give him good training in the future task that the Lord will call him to do. Without a doubt, Joseph's godly character soon became clear through his cheerful obedience. He was a willing worker, handy at many jobs, 
and successful. Joseph was given more and more responsibilities and tasks as time went on. Soon Potiphar knew that if he left Joseph alone to do his work, the work would get done and get done very well. For Potiphar, the purchase of this slave was working out very well, and he treated Joseph kindly. In verse 2 of chapter 39, there is the phrase, and the Lord was with Joseph. Can you count how many times that phrase appears in this chapter 39? Because the Lord was with Joseph, the household of Potiphar was also blessed, and Potiphar was doing very well. Potiphar recognized this and gave Joseph the job of running his entire household. So yes, Joseph was still a slave, but he was also a ruler in the house of Potiphar with an important position. Joseph took care of everything, and Potiphar enjoyed the results of it. But all was not well. Everything goes terribly wrong when Potiphar's wife becomes an enemy of Joseph. While she was at first friendly to Joseph, one day she tried to get Joseph to sin with her. Joseph refused. He said, no, I can't do that. Your husband has been so kind to me and trusted me with so much. I can't do this. The only thing your husband has not given me is you, because you are his wife. And what's more important, I cannot do this great wickedness and sin against God. Joseph has an excellent defense against sin. It offends God, and so he cannot do it. Now, Potiphar's wife becomes very angry with Joseph and grabs his robe from off him as he tries to run away. She uses this robe to falsely accuse Joseph and get her revenge on him. Joseph is thrown in the prison, likely attached to Potiphar's house. It was the one that received the state criminals, those accused of crimes against the king Pharaoh. Well, Joseph was not like the other criminals in the prison. He was faithful, helpful, kind. The prison keeper noticed this. He made sure he was kind to Joseph as well. Don't forget, the Lord was with Joseph. Not too long passed before Joseph was placed in charge of his fellow prisoners. He was now taking care of the prison, just as he had taken care of Potiphar's house. Do you see a pattern here? Joseph was a slave and put in charge of his master's house. Then Joseph became a prisoner and was put in charge of the prison. God blessed Joseph in all things that he did. Joseph served God, whether he was in the prison or the palace. No matter where he was, 
Joseph continually served the Lord, and the Lord was with Joseph. He may have been rejected and forgotten by all those around him, but Joseph had faith in God. He knew that God had not forgotten him. So, what is the message for us in these stories? How does this tell us something about God, about who he is, about what he does, about the Lord Jesus? And what does it tell us about the plan of salvation? In this next part of the video, I would like to tell you a little about what God does. God brings good out of evil. After that, I would like to explain something about who the Lord Jesus is and how that is connected with temptation. First, God brings good out of evil. In this story, there is much sin which shows people trying to upset God's plan. Judah and his brothers hated the idea that they would serve Joseph, and so they sold him off to Egypt. Joseph faced false accusers. Nobody believed he was innocent. By the way, we see in Joseph's story a little bit of what to expect in the Lord Jesus' life. Both Joseph and Jesus were falsely accused and counted as criminal. And so through the sins of men, the will of God is still done. Joseph's false accusers were responsible for their lies, and Jesus' accusers were responsible for their lies. The false accusers meant evil with their actions, but God meant to turn it into something good. And so God's plan is always accomplished without being changed by man's sinful actions. Joseph says this exact thing later on in Genesis 45, verses 4 through 8. He says that it was not actually his brothers that sent him into Egypt, but it was God who sent him there to prepare the way to save his family. In summary, God uses the actions of people to perform his own will. God's wisdom is so amazing that even those things that were supposed to be sinful and to go against God will end up praising him and serving him. For example, in Acts 4 verse 28, two apostles were praying with their friends, and it is clear that even though the Pontius Pilate and the others were responsible for their actions against Jesus, they were doing what God's wise counsel had before determined what should be done. God's ways always serve his plan of salvation. Let's now turn our attention and look at the idea of temptation. Now, temptation is anything that draws us away from God and turns us to sin. In this story, Judah gave in to temptation, and he suffered for it. Joseph resisted temptation, and he suffered for it too. 
So after listening to this story, how could you convince a friend to resist temptation? Well, Joseph ended up in prison, but with a good conscience, trusting the Lord. If you have a good conscience in prison, God will be there too. How can you overcome temptation? I will only mention two things. We are not strong enough to overcome temptation by ourselves. We need the Lord's help. And so, prayer is really important. The Lord Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 26, verse 41, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Maybe you're wondering about the Lord Jesus. Was he tempted? Oh, for sure. The Jewish people came to him with sly words, tempting him. Jesus was tempted even to avoid the cross. Jesus was even tempted while he was on the cross. After he was baptized at the beginning of his work of ministry, Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit. He fasted there for 40 days. How hungry he must have been. Then, when he allowed himself to be weakened with hunger, Satan, the biggest false accuser, came and tempted Jesus. You know, in all these things, Jesus did not sin. Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. Jesus experienced temptation, but not once, ever, in the smallest way even, gave in to sin. Read Hebrews 4, verse 15. Jesus was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. This sinlessness of Jesus Christ is really, really precious. Let's read why in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This means Jesus is able to be the perfect sacrifice for sinners and to give them his righteousness. So in conclusion, the Lord Jesus was not embarrassed to be born as a baby into a family that had a very sinful past. He is not ashamed to be near sinners, for that's the reason he came to this earth. He came to save sinners. He did this by being tempted and never sinning. He did this by dying for sinners who were tempted and did sin. The Lord Jesus is very special. His importance, his value, his worthiness are only because of who he is and what he did, and not because of a good or a bad family tree. And so, no matter what your family tree looks like, or what temptations you have given into, the Lord Jesus is also able to save you.
Pray often for a new heart. In our next lesson, we will return to the story of Joseph when he is raised out of prison.